Welcome back. This is episode nine of Dear Baseball Gods. And today we have a great guest. Um, and if I'm being honest, it's going to be hard to be brief as I briefly, uh, well, not so briefly, introduce him. So Mike Reinold, our guest today, is the co-founder of Champion Physical Therapy and Performance just outside of Boston. Prior to opening Champion, Mike was the head athletic trainer and physical therapist for the Boston Red Sox. And yes, he was a member of their 2007 World Series championship team. So pretty cool. Prior to time with the Red Sox, Mike was the facility director for the Champion Sports Medicine and coordinator of the Rehabilitative Research at the ASMI in Birmingham, Alabama. So that means Mike was down there working with Dr. Glenn Fleissig, Dr. James Andrews, all the really big names in baseball. So Mike holds his doctorate in physical therapy. He has too many other certifications to really count. And he's a regular speaker all over the world talking about baseball injuries, his research, and his time uh, as a major league baseball uh, athletic trainer. So that's personally where I found Mike. Aside from following on his website years ago, we actually, uh, Lucas and I, we went down to the uh, ASMI Injuries in Baseball seminar in Los Angeles last year and listened to Mike give a couple talks about baseball injuries and rehab and you know, I really want to have him on the show today because he's such a, a really relatable speaker. He's dynamic, and he's just got a lot of passion that you'll feel. You'll hear it spill out as we uh, we kind of talk today. So really excited to have him on the show. So Mike, how's Boston treating you? Good, Dan. Thanks so much for uh, um, having me, and heck, thanks for putting together this podcast. I've, I've been I've been listening, and I've been really impressed with what you're doing. And and heck, I'm just I'm a big fan of everything you're doing. So and I, I love when people like you take the time to share not only what's in your head, but your past experiences. So, you know, keep it up, man. And thanks so much for having me. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. And obviously it was, it was nice uh, getting to sit down with you finally in, uh, in LA a couple of years ago. And, you know, I've been reading your stuff for, for so many years and, you know, it's funny how many guys you and I both know as well. Obviously Kevin Vance on the show a couple of weeks ago, you know, trained alongside of you and had a lot of good things to say as well. So it's, it's just funny how, how small the, uh, the baseball community ends up being, even when you're, you know, Across the country from one another, <laughs> right? I'm I'm starting to to learn that more and more, and you know it's funny the the guys you work with inevitably will, you know, become something one day, right? So you, they go from yeah. the high school athletes you work with to the college athletes you work with to the coach that you know you know you know you work with, and it's like your network just continues to grow. Yeah. So speaking of all the people you've you've met along your years, obviously you held you know one of those coveted positions being the head guy. Uh, for a major, major league organization. So can you speak a little bit on how you kind of ascended to the top of the, uh, you know, the the PT world? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, getting the job with the Red Sox was, you know, kind of like a dream job. I mean, I, in all honesty, that was kind of my objective, right? That was kind of like what you set out to do. So, um, you know, heck, I don't even remember. I think I was like maybe 28 at the time when it happened. So, um, like, you know, I, 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 I did it. I got extremely lucky, but you know, I always tell people, you know, how, how'd you do that? So like my, my ascension, as you said, kind of started, you know, in the mid nineties or so. So this was before Google. So it was a little bit harder to figure things out back then, you know, but at the time I essentially said, you know, who's, who's the top sports medicine people in baseball, because that's what I'm really passionate about. Right. So, you know, who are the top people? And obviously I found Dr. Andrews and Dr. Fleissig from ASMI in, in, in kind of the mid nineties. And, you know, this was even kind of before email, I guess. So I actually just called ASMI like, on a phone, like from my apartment to like their office phone, not a cell phone, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, I just like called and, and Glenn, like Dr. Fleissig, like just picked up, <laughs> you know, and that's like, that's like kind of how it started. It was like just weird, you know, like he, he actually just answered the phone. Yeah. Um, 
so I was in PT school and I just reached out and, and we, we ended up working out where I came down and I did some research projects with ASMI. Um, and then, you know, they offered me to, you know, come back down as a PT and, you know, I, you know, I spent several years down there. I was down there for, you know, almost seven total years, um, kind of going back and forth a little bit, but just, you know, kind of learning from them. But I sought out the best in, in baseball and, and I tried to become one of them and surround them myself with those people. Um, and I got extremely lucky that, you know, Theo Epstein from the Red Sox essentially had the foresight to say, you know, I want to go outside traditional you know, baseball. And I don't want to just, you know, just go the traditional route of athletic trainers. But, you know, it would be great to also have like a PT athletic trainer that um, that understands baseball injuries. So he brought in, you know, an outsider essentially from baseball to kind of, you know, help with that process. So, you know, I always tell the story. This is, you know, my interview. If you're a Red Sox fan, this has a couple of good stories in it. But, you know, my interview with Theo was on um, October 30th, 2005. So if if you're a Red Sox historian, you know that um, Theo quit on Halloween the next day uh, and left Fenway in the gorilla suit kind of thing. You know, if you remember that. <laughs> so I literally interviewed with Theo on the 30th and then he quit on the 31st. Wow. And I was like, crap. I'm like, that's the guy I just interviewed. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm never going to get this job. Um, but, you know, it, it was, it, you know, obviously it worked out. But during the interview, he asked me, he, he had a really cool question, but he said, he said, Mike, you've, you know, you've worked with, you know, hundreds, thousands, whatever of, of injured baseball players. How do you think you'll make the transition to working with healthy baseball players during the season? And I just simply said, I go, I actually think they're all injured and I have five days to rehab them back. And that's, <laughs> that's it. And he kind of just like sat back, like grinned and like shook his head. And I'm like, yes, I just nailed that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and I got lucky. So I got lucky. You know, I put myself in a position to succeed and I worked my tail off. And I surrounded myself with the right people. Like, I'm not special. I'm not smarter than everybody else. I'm not different. I'm just, you know, I'm, um, you know, I just put myself in the right position uh, and got extremely lucky. So you know, that's kind of that's kind of how we got to the Red Sox to, to answer your question. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And it's it's funny because all the things you just talked about are pretty much right in parallel with the way ballplayers talk about their careers. Right. You know, when you get to the minor league level, especially everyone's mostly the same. Right. There's some genetic freaks. and I'm sure you've seen a lot of them. But at the same time, everyone kind of throws in the 90s. Hitters all have similar bat speed. Everyone runs, you know, pretty well. Like everyone has a pretty similar tool set. So what does it come down to? You know, like, is it right? You know, it's just your your resolve and your focus and your routine and educating yourself. And I think it just it seems to to bond all all careers and all professions that it's the same thing as they get guys to the top. So speaking of that, uh, that's that's such a good segue into what I really want to talk about with you, because obviously, you know, you talk all over the world about baseball injuries and keeping kids healthy and but what I'm really interested in is is what happens behind the scenes. So you said all you know all pitchers are pretty much injured, but you're trying to rehab them before their next start. So what really does go on behind the scenes? And can you can you speak a little bit to what the average you know major leaguer that you see on TV, your favorite stars, are those guys healthy when they're out there playing shortstop every day? <laughs> well, so I mean, I think we can divide the pitchers and position players up a little different, but to to your short the short answer to that is absolutely not. I mean, everybody's injured. Um, it's it's all just how you manage the stress of the season and stress of of the workloads that they have. 
um, you know, Major League Baseball and, and Minor League Baseball, professional baseball. I mean, this, the schedules and the seasons, uh, they're they're amazing. I mean, they're you know, you play, you know, 162 games in about 180 days, you know, and people don't 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 really add that up. And that doesn't include the playoffs and that doesn't include spring training and stuff like that. So, you know, people don't get that in a month. You typically have two days off, you know, give or take. So, you know, you have just a few days off, like, you know, maybe two or three a, a month. Um, and people don't really kind of realize what that means. So I always like, I always kind of tell the story of like saying like, you know, again, we'll use the Red Sox as an example, but like, you know, you, you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you turn on the Red Sox, you know, we're playing, uh, you know, we're playing the twins at Fenway. Right. And you know, whatever you watch the game and you go to bed, you wake up, you go to work, you come home and, uh, we're playing again. Um, but this time we're in Anaheim. Right. And how the heck did that happen? Right. <laughs> like yeah. last night we were in Fenway and tonight we're in California. It's a, and people, I don't think people put that together with just the stress that's going on. So, um, you know, playing over the course of a season is just cumulative stress that just adds up. And essentially, I think whoever wins down the end is whoever is closest to 100 percent still. But everybody's less than 100 percent over the course of a season. You know, it's kind of our job, our role to just try to, um, you know, decrease that decline, I guess, is, is a good way to say it, uh, especially with the pitchers. But, you know, heck, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know here, but most pitchers, and I, I kind of tell this to that 16-year-old kid that says his arm's a rubber arm and it feels awesome, said mo- most professional pitchers feel like crap all the time, right? You, yeah. I mean, you, you, your arm kills you. I mean, I, I get phone calls every January from people saying, like, I don't think I can play this year. Like, my, you know, my arm's killing me. I can't pick up the ball. Uh, but, you know, they do, you know, and then we do weird things, right? Like, you know, those two, three off days during the season, if the pitchers don't play catch, then they can barely pick up a ball the next day, right? So mm-hmm. I've literally played catch with big leaguers in, like, in Central Park, like, on a side street off Michigan Avenue and, and like in a hotel ballroom, like on the beach in Clearwater. That was a fun one. Um, you know, I mean, like literally we just play catch with guys on the on the off days because they they can't take an off day or, or their arms killing them. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, you know, we always start our education process with the kids that come to see us with one simple fact. And we just say throwing a baseball is not good for you. Right. And once you get that, that's fine. We, we do lots of things that aren't good for us. Right. So it, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world that you're doing that. But you have to understand that key principle. And that was kind of like an internal joke we had, like, you know, in the clubhouse was, you know, they'd be like, hey, you know, why, why is my shoulder hurt today? And I was just like, well, I think it's because you pitched yesterday, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that's it. I mean, it's it's really that simple. So, you know, our job is just to control the fall, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. So can you can you elaborate a little bit on some of the day-to-day stuff so i think everyone's kind of fascinated and i remember my you know when i first got my crack at minor league ball just being in in the the catacombs of the ballpark so you know you're lurking underneath and and getting all these guys ready you know what does it look like in the you know the the two hours before a game like what are you doing and are there any weird rituals because obviously i've been exposed to ice baths and you know, all these massages and, you know, Kramer hot stuff and all the crazy liniments and all this stuff that, you know, hopefully, you know, snake oil <laughs> pour all over our body to make us <laughs> feel better. But what's what's what are you doing leading up to the game? Well, I, I wish it started a couple hours beforehand. I think if I told you the truth, it would uh, it would really take the glamour out of it. But, you know, for a seven o'clock game, you usually get to the park around 11 a.m. 
right? So just to, you know, have a little staff meeting, talk with the other athletic trainers, the strength coach, the therapist, um, you know, we get together with the coaching staff and the manager and just talk about any injuries from the night before, or, you know, anybody's uh, playing status or maybe a reliever that might need a down day or something like that. You know, we kind of start the day off like that. And the, the players start rolling in around noon or so, give or take. And, and you know, we spend the afternoon like, you know, uh, you know, stretch and BP usually starts at four o'clock for a home game. So, you know, you have a few hours essentially to rehab the injured guys um, to give treatments to most of the players. But, you know, I, I, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of with the Red Sox is we kind of flipped the switch with medicine and uh, traditional athletic training in that environment was very, uh, retroactive, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you, I'll just sit here and wait, you know, maybe I'll do a Sudoku puzzle, uh, but I'll just sit here and wait until you sprain your ankle and then let me know. And then I'll ice it and tape it, right? Like that type of thing. Yeah. So it's very retrospective in terms of, of healthcare. So we turned it prospective. So what we did is a couple of things. One is we, we came up with maintenance programs for everybody that they had to do, you know, you know, to stay, you know, in, in tip top shape and stuff like that maintenance programs, you know, but we were always working on everybody's suboptimal kind of findings. Right. So, again, throwing a baseball is bad for you. So we know things like your arm gets tight. We know it gets tired. It gets a little weak. You know, so we're we're kind of doing these micro treatments throughout the day. So that kind of happens from noon to four, right? And we actually get to take a break during BP, which is fantastic. Um, you know, hopefully we don't have too much going on. You know, but the way my world worked, I kind of worked with the pitchers more than anything else. Is you know we kind of start getting the starting pitchers ready around five o'clock for a seven o'clock game. You know, so the position players a little bit easier, you know, maybe they're just getting stretched out or, you know, um, just getting ready down in the cage, that type of thing. But, you know, the, the pitchers kind of get ready. So, you know, from five to six, we're usually getting the starting pitcher ready with, you know, like massage and, you know, leg stretch, arm stretch, a couple exercises, just get a little blood flow to their arm. You know, like you said, we're, we'll rub anything on them that will make them pitch, you know, <laughs> so the hotter, the better, you know, yeah, cheetah, the, cheetah blood. Yeah, right. Kramer Jesic and, you know, all that stuff or just you know, whatever it takes to get out there, um, you know, we'll do that. And then from six to seven, it kind of turns into getting the position players and the relievers going, um, you know, so it's, you know, it's funny, you know, the starting pitchers tend to have good routines. And that's one of the things that we kind of we almost made like part of our kind of like our internal curriculum almost like kind of like helped you build your routine right so you know a guy like john lester we actually took from essentially like a you know a high school drafty and you know essentially he said you know here's what it takes to be a big leaguer and we kind of you know showed him how to act how to work out how to train how to um you know how to schedule your start day you know and, and he was very fortunate he got to follow guys like josh beckett around that you know kind of you know just you know showed him the way right and yeah. heck i mean josh i think i was talking ahead i'm actually starting to forget now it's been a few years but like i used to t i used to tape josh's ankle at 522 i believe like <laughs> on, on, the, on dot. the dot right like exactly 522 and if i'm if I was stuck in Tito's office or something like that and I was like 10 seconds late, I heard it, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you know, 5.22 and, you know, he's he's ready. He's on the bench by 6 o'clock. At 6.04, he starts walking down the line to, you know, start long tossing and that type of thing. Like, you know, so it's 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 very regimented and, and you know, your job is just it's, it's to help the guys. You know, everybody's got their own routine, but it's your job is to kind of help facilitate that and, and, you know, do whatever it takes to get them out on the field. Yeah, and that's a and that's a great point because you know one of the things we work with young pitchers, I'm sure you guys do the exact same thing at Champion, is working on a routine with them, right? And I think they, especially when they're young, they kind of roll their eyes and scoff at the idea that oh, like 
down to the minute? Like, I don't, does it really matter if I'm in the bullpen at, you know, 639? But it does, right? Every, every minute counts because you're trying to, to do what? Pretty much isolate variables, right? And, and get right. these guys to understand that if, if you're gonna be a high level player, you just have to try to control every little variable that you possibly can because so much of baseball is out of your control. Right. And, and I, I think most guys do it. So that way, when they're on the mound, there's no second guessing. There's no, uh, oh, crap, I didn't I didn't stretch my legs before the game. You know, like there's they know I have a routine. This routine works for me. And, and, and they just get on the mound and they focus on pitching. They don't have to say like, oh, man, it's a little cold. I should have got a little should have got a little warmer. I should have, you know, I should have stretched out a little bit more like or whatever it may be. They do that. So they have a set routine and they can have reproducible results. That's kind of their thought process. You know, and, and heck, the kids are the kids are hilarious, right? Like they don't even know how to play catch. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like you're literally like a 14 year old kid. You're, you know, you, you, you go to warm them up and they're literally throwing like as hard as they can at your knees from like 45 feet on like the fifth throw. And you're like, whoa, tiger, slow down, slow down. You know, and you kind of explain it to them like, you know, that's that's look, that's not what the big guys do. I mean, they you know, you got to stretch it out. You got to, you know, take your time and, you know, that type of thing. You, you have to teach them this. It's it's not something they inherently learn. You know, so um, I, I'm lucky, right? Like you're you're more in the coaching aspect and the performance aspect now. Like I, you know, I get a lot of guys that are injured, right? So at, at my point, when I get to meet them, it's very clear that whatever they've done didn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I get this blank canvas sometimes that I can say, you know, um, look, like why don't we why don't we start working on some new things? Um, you know, that type of thing. But I wish the kids were more proactive and they didn't wait to get injured to learn these things for sure. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's a, another good segue. So you talked about how when guys don't go through their normal routine, they can tend to kind of ruminate on it, right? Oh man, I, I didn't I didn't warm up enough, and I feel kind of weird. Like maybe I'm not going to pitch well today. So all those mental factors are are huge in turning out the best output you can. You know, the best performance on the mound or or at bat or whatever. Uh, and I'm sure it, you know. I remember hearing Jock, or Dr. Andrews speak about how his role as a physician wasn't just to to do surgery, but it was also to kind of nurture people's spirits. So when he would sit down with these athletes, understanding that, you know, how emotional they were about being hurt. And can you, can you speak a little bit to your role? I'm sure you saw a lot of guys struggling, you know, maybe they weren't hurt at all, but maybe they came in and chatted with you a little bit about their struggles or maybe when they're hurt, they kind of see the end of the road. I mean, how did right. you, how did you kind of help these guys? Did you, did you kind of become like a, you know, like a, a makeshift psychiatrist. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, in our role, it's, you know, the classic phrase everybody talks about is like, you, you, you have to, you have to make sure that the people, you know, in, in this case, the players know that their best interest is what you're looking out for. So like, that's your, that's, that's what you care about most, right? It's not about you. It's not about, it's, heck, it's not even about the team to an extent. You know, we kind of, I was fortunate, like my group with the Red Sox at the time, we were very, you know, clear that essentially um, what's best for the player is probably best for the team, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that was that was pretty pretty a, a good thing that Theo and Tito kind of embraced, you know, is that whatever, you know, let's do what's best for the players and everything will work out. So, I mean, you have you have to kind of start with that process here. Um, the most amazing thing I learned about professional sports. And remember, I came from like the outside world. Like I came from Dr. Andrews Clinic and, and kind of learning from them where people from all around the world were flying in to see us and stuff. The, the biggest thing that, that surprised me was how 
everybody within the game was essentially afraid of losing their job. So that's from the the middle reliever to the shortstop to the first base coach to the strength coach to the clubhouse guy. Um, everybody was was so afraid of losing their job in that environment. And as a player, it's very obvious, right? I mean, like there's this new crop of, of guys coming up every year that their whole intent is to take your job. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. The, the amount of anxiety that's out there for pitchers is, is very real. I mean, you have to produce not only for your ego, which you know, I say that in a positive way, but you have to produce because you want to do well in life. Right. But you also have to look around like kind of over your shoulder, you know. So, you know, for me as the guy that, that worked with people with injuries all the time, one thing that I kind of dealt with all the time was that there was a lot of panic. Like people always you like, oh, like, man, my, my arm hurts. Is it Tommy John? Or is my season going to be over? Like that type of thing. So for me, I had to really not panic. Because if I panic, then they're panicking. And that's just a mm-hmm. downward spiral. So I'm usually that kind of guy. And part of my philosophy, and, you know, the players, I think, they start to learn this and then they get worried about it. Um, I've, I kind of downplay everything. Because, like, look, if it is your Tommy John, there's nothing we can do about it at this point, right? Just, let's just, okay, let's, we'll treat it. You know, we'll try to ease back into a throwing program. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, I'm very, like, calm about it. Now, if you do good in a week or two, I might say, like, hey, wow, you, Dan, you looked like crap two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I don't want to tell you at the time, but, wow, you looked awful. Um, like, you know, you kind of say that so you can, you know, you kind of, you know, get them a little bit more up in the uh, spirit right there. But, you know, there there's a, a strong sense of that, that, you know, you have to be there for the players. You have to be there to kind of help them through that because, again, there's anxiety. But then there's also, like, the stress of, like, wow, like, I'm injured. I'm not producing. I'm not a good teammate. Uh, or, you know, at, at my level, it was even worse. It's like I'm getting paid $75,000 a game and I haven't played in five days. I'm just stealing money, like th- those types of things. Like, you know, uh, uh, most of the players, they're they're aware of these things and they don't want to they, they don't want to come across that. So there's a ton of psychology. Yeah. And I, you know, I think once you've played long enough and, you know, I started to get a, a better perspective of this as I got older. But you start to feel for guys like Ryan Howard, for example, you know, we all sort of witnessed the end of his career and, and, and it might not be over for him, but he just got released recently. But you saw this, you know, astounding major league home run hitter, you know, fall from grace over a period of years. And everyone in Philly, I mean, I spent the last couple of seasons playing out there, brutal fans, you know, and, and, and Ryan <laughs> Howard's still a person, right? I mean, he has family and friends and I've never met him, but he might be the nicest guy in the world. I mean, I'm sure you saw a lot of these guys who they don't take it lightly when they're making a huge salary and they're not producing, right? Right. Well, and especially in the Boston market too. And and Boston was one of those markets where the media, um, you know, they like to sensationalize things. Remember the media, like I, I internally, just another tidbit here on a side note here, I'd say about 95% of the stuff you see in the media is false. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, the trade rumors, most of them are, are false. Right. And, you know, we're, we're in this, we're in this, 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 this era now where, you know, it's about getting the info as fast as you can. So, you know, these injury diagnoses you see and stuff like that, it's usually just false information. It's just junk that's thrown out there, you know? So, you know, like you have all this, it's like so much stress. So in, in the Boston environment, they're very, you know, the media is, is entertainment, right? And they're very negative. So a lot of players come here and they, they end up like, you know, they didn't enjoy it because they're, you know, they're killing them. And then, you know, like I remember, you know, J.D. Drew is a great story. I, mean, I think we acquired him in um, 
06 or 07, I forget off the top of my head, but, we, you know, J.D. drew big contract at the time, right? Um, you know, the, the guy, like, literally had, like, a 400 on base percentage in the seven hole, right? So, which is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you should, yeah. you should love that. Yeah. You know, like, the guy's amazing. One of the best defensive outfielders I've ever seen. You know, but, he, you know, he kind of struggled a little bit in this environment. You know, he's, you know, he's a nice southern guy that just, you know, they, they were abusing him. And they would just yell at him from the outfield the whole time. And they would boo him. And, you know, I'd try to tell him, like, nah, J.D., I think they're just saying Drew. I don't think it's boo. <laughs> yeah, you know, like stuff like that. Like you try to, like, like get him to think that way. And then all of a sudden he hit that, he hit that grand slam in the 07 playoffs and now he can do anything he wants for the rest of his career. But, you know, but, but it's like, it's, it's, it's like that little thing. Like they just, you know, they, they, if you don't produce, like I always say Eric Gagne is a great example in Boston. And this is just me, by the way, who the heck am I? I'm just the stupid trainer. Right. But like in my person, my impression of Eric Gagne, I mean, we acquired him in 07 again. Um, and you know, you get this, this all-star Cy Young kind of just stud guy, you know, he, he didn't have a good couple of outings and the fans literally stood up and booed him out of the stadium. It was, it was horrific. It was terrible. And I mean, he lived down the street from Fenway and like literally would have to like, you know, put his hood on, like sneak out a side gate, like, you know, just put his headphones on and just try to get home because the fans were just brutal to him. And still to this day, I think if the fans on that third out and just stood up, gave him a freaking round of applause and actually got behind him. I think it would have turned around, you know, but, you know, who am I? I mean, that's just my perception. I remember being mad at the at the fans for that. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things, I think, that when you're on the inside like you were, you know, you got to see these guys as as human beings. You know, they were your friends and your coworkers. And I'm sure you saw a much different side than obviously the fan does, who just is sort of I don't know, like you you view your your major league stars and your favorite players growing up as your heroes. But they're not really like people kind of is the same as you are right, right. They're, they're untouchable they're out there they're on tv and but they are right they are people and they they grew up as dorks the same, same as any of us right i'm sure you met right. your, your your share of characters and they uh they're not immune to it but it's uh i think it's just one of those trade-offs i mean you get paid a lot of money and you get all the fame and and all the the exciting lifestyle that goes with it but you know it's it's got to be tough to go out there when you're struggling i know i felt it when i was just a lowly minor leaguer that you know no one cared about so to, to right. imagine that you have all these expectations to live up to a $20 million contract that you then have to live up to, it's, that's a lot. Right, right. And, and again, remember, the media is just trying to report things. So, you know, you, I don't know. I mean, we get an injury. I mean, most teams aren't giving you all the details, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, why would we, right? Like, it's just, you know, we give you enough to just, you know, give you the blurb about your injury, you know, but then, you know, they just go on these tangents about, you know, like what's wrong with the player, but the media does just, they just don't know. I mean, you know, um, trust me, everybody you see a, a forearm sprains probably a Tommy John, right? You know, yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just a terminology thing. Like you just, you know, it, it's, it's just something you got to keep in mind. Like I, I feel like a lot of the fans try to get on people, you know, and I know examples of guys in Boston, like Buckholz and stuff like that. I mean, Buckholz had a, you know, pretty significant shoulder injury, but you know, they, the team wasn't really releasing a lot of information, which, you know, they probably shouldn't. Right. But then a lot of people are just like, wow, is this guy soft? You know, does he not want to play? I was like, well, no, you just you don't understand the whole situation, right? So, you know, I, I just say for the casual fan, like, just don't be quick to judgment. You know, there's there's lots going on behind the scenes that you don't understand that, you know, these players are are, are trying to produce. And trust me, nobody's soft. Nobody's, you know, nobody's just mailing it in. You know, there's, there's a reason. <laughs> 
now that you've transitioned back out, so you have champion PT and performance up in Boston. So how has your day-to-day kind of changed now that you're not dealing with, I'm sure, well, obviously you are still dealing with a lot of, you know, high caliber guys like you were instrumental helping Craig Breslow get back in there this year, right? Right. Yeah. You know, we, we still stay in touch with a lot of guys, help a lot of guys. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we definitely, you know, still work with people either from a distance or, or up close, but I, you know, to summarize in like one word, like how my life's changed, um, autonomy, <laughs> yeah. you know? So like, I mean, I don't think people get it again, going back to that schedule. I mean, I work 14 hours a day, seven days a week with no days off. Right. So it's again, it was great when you start doing this in your late 20s and stuff. But then you start having a family, you start having kids, you start realizing, oh, I'm going to be on the road the next 10 days. And heck, I barely even have time to call you. You know, it's yeah. it's it's uh, it gets it gets super weird. So, you know, now what we're doing and the kids around here don't even get it. Right. But they're like literally like we're, we're implementing all the stuff we did with the Red Sox. We're implementing it in our our local community. So we, we've been you know, it's taken us a few years, but we're doing great. I mean, we got, you know, dozens of kids that come in for proactive arm care now. Right. Which I'm super proud of, because that's to me, that's so important that they come in during the season for soft tissue work to maintain their mobility. They come in in the off season to get their arm bulletproof, right? It's not just strength training. It's not just skill training with your coach. You know, you ha- you also have to do the arm care aspects. So we've, we, you know, we've given this to all these kids. So literally like Tuesday, Thursday nights in the baseball season, we're literally like we're, we're grinding all night just with all the kids from the local high schools coming in because we're, you know, we're, we're trying to keep them in shape. Um, and, you know, the results are amazing. The kids, they love it. They feel amazing. Um, you know, again, like the season is a controlled fall. So our, our goal is just to, to decrease that fall. Okay. And that's a great term controlled fall. I like, I like that. <laughs> As we, uh, we kind of wrap up here, you did some weighted ball research recently and, right. uh, I'm sure it's going to go through some different processes of, of peer review and all that. Cause you're a, I mean, was this like the 900,000th research study you've done? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, we you know we we try to do research the right way. Like you know, a, you gotta be careful with some of the data that you read, right? Yeah, ha- it has to be unbiased. It has to have control groups. It has to go through an IRB to assure that your methodology is sound and safe and and peer reviewed. You know, you gotta be careful with uh, with what you read nowadays. You know, true research is actually challenging to perform. It's it's hard to control all the variables to make sure that you are you are you are specifically testing something, right? It's 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 challenging. So it's not just reporting data it's actually about you know how you how you research data i think that's that's the the big part so um yeah we're doing um we have a couple of phase studies of weighted balls that we're in the middle of but you know again we teamed up with our old friends dr andrews dr fleissig asmi um and then we teamed up with modus global um, the people that have that sleeve with the accelerometer and gyroscope uh, built into the sleeve um it measures all the stress on the elbow and and stuff like that so Phase one, we just wanted to say like, all right, what was the before and after effects of a weighted ball program? So we built out a six week program. Um, and again, you know, we kind of compared everything on on the market. We kind of we have like a program that we use and we have a program that, you know, I mean, heck, we've been doing weighted balls for, you know, 20 years, probably, um, you know, to some capacity in the rehab process and everything. And, you know, uh, Coop's original research on four and six ounce uh, over and under load training, you know, th- th- these things aren't new, but. I think what's happened in in this era now, we're so focused on velocity. People are saying like, "Oh, well, if a six ounce ball increases your velocity, like what what would a two pound ball do? <laughs> you know, yeah. like that must triple it, right? That must be amazing. You know, so I, I think we're getting carried away, and and the programs out there are 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 ahead of the research, so we don't truly know what's happening. So 
in our first phase, and we just kind of finished up a, another group of kids that went through it, you know, we essentially took high school age kids and we intentionally didn't do the elite level kids, right? We had some good kids in the group, but we also had some kids that were, you know, JV, you know, trying to get on the, the varsity team. Like we wanted this to be real with the kids. So they did a six week program. They, they kind of did, you know, like a progression of, of uh, you know, kneeling rockers, running guns. Uh, and we used anywhere from two ounce to two pound balls and just and just slowly kind of grew that program over the six weeks. What we found was weighted balls are effective. Right. So the kids gain velocity. But, you know, about 85 percent of the kids gain velocity. So 50 percent didn't. Right. You know, that's that's the kind of the first thing I, I always bring up. These things aren't perfect for everyone. Right. So 50 percent of the kids didn't. But, you know, that's a ton. You know, so kids went up about four percent in their velocity, which which is great. But we actually already knew that. So that's not the new science. Right. Like yeah. we've known that for 20, 30 years that weighted balls are effective. We still don't know why. And we still don't know the long term results. So the other thing we did is we also looked at mechanically, we looked at their arm speed and we looked at the stress on their ligament before and after a program. But then we also looked at their physical characteristics. We looked at their strength and the range of motion of their shoulder before and after this program. And essentially what we found was arm strength does not go up. Arm speed does not go up. The stress on the elbow didn't change either. So that we thought that was a great finding. But, you know, those sometimes you hear people say things like, oh, it's building arm strength. It's building arm speed. It doesn't. Right. So we proved that it actually didn't. Right. Uh, it, it, some people say stuff like neuromuscular patterning. I mean, that's just a junk phrase. That means nothing. Right. So I, I don't even know how you define that. So, you know, again, <laughs> it, all those things mean nothing. Right. So other than velocity went up, which is great. We found one thing that kids lay back actually increased. So what happens is their shoulder external rotation went up on average about five degrees after a six week program. And that is scary. That's, that's an issue. So what we're finding is we know that the more layback you have, the more velocity you get. So I think this is the first study that kind of shows maybe the effectiveness of a weighted ball program is because we're stretching kids out into external rotation. But this doesn't happen in a good way over six weeks. Like something structurally is kind of breaking, you know, for us to kind of to uh -huh. get to that increased range. So we had we have about almost a 30 percent injury rate that we're working on. So it's about 25 to 30 percent injury rate. Most people don't get hurt during the program. We only had one or two. Right. But the next summer, we followed these kids over the spring and summer. And again, we had a control group that did not perform this. The control group had no injuries and the weighted ball group had about a 25 percent, give or take, injury rate that they did this next season. And these are the big injuries. We're seeing growth plate fractures. We're seeing Tommy John's. We're seeing lat tears, pec tears. Heck, I saw a kid that fractured a rib. Uh, I mean, I, I've never seen injuries like this before. It's crazy, <laughs> you know. So yeah. what, what we're finding is the kids that got injured had the most amount of, of layback of external rotation of their shoulder. Some kids had about 10 degrees increase in external rotation. So what we're doing is we're creating more layback. We're creating more instability of the shoulder. And we're probably doing it by having some some issues with their capsule, their labrum, maybe their subscap and their lat, like the type of things we're starting to see. So essentially what we found in this program is they work but we are definitely overdosing. And that's kind of like our main phase. We don't know the correct dosage yet, right? And right now it's like, it's like that old Seinfeld joke. You know, I, I'm probably dating myself here, but <laughs> you know, the, the whole like, you know, like I, I want maximum strength. So figure out whatever kills me and just take a little bit off, right? And, <laughs> and that's what we're doing. But unfortunately, these kids, once they found out what killed them, they're already in trouble, right? Yeah. So 
I tell this good story because this is a kid, local college with us. He came to see me. His shoulder's killing him. I'm like, all right, well, what's going on? He's like, ah, my shoulder's killing me. I can't, I can't throw. I can't even pick up a ball. I'm like, all right, well, you know, you know, yada, yada, yada. We do an exam, all that stuff. I'm like, what would you do different this winter? He's like, oh, I've got on an aggressive weighted ball program all winter. I'm like, oh, good. How'd it go? He's like, great. This is the best my arms ever felt. And I'm like, wait, you just said your arms hurt and you can't pick up your arm. This is the best your arms ever felt because you can't pitch right now. He's like, yeah, but I gained five miles. I'm like, right, but you, but you can't pitch right now. You're injured. He's like, yeah, but I gained five miles. I'm like, I, I don't think you're getting it. <laughs> so, so we had that. So it's funny. So I've now worked, worked with this kid. I published this in an article on my site like a year and a half ago. I've been working with this kid since, right? And he, he finally texts me like, like something. He did great this season. And he texts me. He goes, all right, you're right. Less is more. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know, he's, he did a good job. So, yeah, so the, the concept of this, of this first phase of study is weighted balls are effective. We know that. We can, we can use them here. But we have to use them in the right place person we have to individualize the program we have to monitor it right and we have to really just just scrutinize if the, this person's the right person for it so I, I think we have a definitive yes and a definitive no now on who should be doing weighted balls the definitive no is the skeletally mature that's to me that's a that's a big no-no the definitive yes is probably that six-year free agent that's you know 26 and they're about to be out of baseball if they don't gain a little more velocity if look if you want to assume the risk and do that go nuts i fully support it and i will help you right but you have to understand that there's there's some inherent risk with that but the kid that's 14 or 16 or even 18 that's buying these programs that's non-individualized that doesn't take their mechanics into effect that just has them do random balls i mean to me that's so disadvantageous um we always say there's four ways to increase velocity there's four buckets right the first bucket is age and maturity so as a coach you get this right but for every for every inch you grow and for every year you age your velo goes up 1.5 miles per hour that's been studied that's that's research okay so again you want to gain eight miles an hour sure grow a few inches in a couple of years and you just went up eight miles an hour your coach is probably going to take all the credit right but <laughs> but it's because you grew you got bigger you matured Right. So age and maturity is number one. Two is a good strength and conditioning program. You have to have you know, good leg strength, good rotary power, like good linear power, like all, all the things we talk about in a baseball strength and conditioning. Three is a good arm care program. Right. So we always say the legs generate the power, the core transfers the power and the arm dissipates the, the power. And you got to kind of put that together. So you have to have a strong shoulder, which most kids have never even heard of. Right. They haven't done any of that. And then finally, four is you have to have good mechanics and then you can get on throwing programs to enhance your velocity. But right now, everybody wants to jump to step four without those first three steps. And essentially what we're saying is they're trying to frost the cake, but they haven't baked it yet. And that's kind of our that's our that's our big thing that we're kind of finding with these with these kids is they're jumping corners. They're not baking their cake before they frost it with these advanced programs. So that's kind of that's kind of what we found with our our weighted ball research. There's definitely a use for them, but we're definitely overdosing at this point. So again, we won't point fingers or anything like that, or you know say anything. But like again, like you know we got you know reports of like schools with like six Tommy Johns on their roster, right? I got one particular school. Let's we'll just say is in the the northern half of America, <laughs> so we can't we can't uh, mm -hmm. point them down. But literally in the last few weeks. Three Tommy Johns, right? Two lat tears and an anterior capsule tear, which is the kiss of death. You're done, 
right? And that's, that's all one school. So like, I I just don't know when we're going to make this adjustment and pivot, you know, so we're just blindly applying these programs and putting every kid on the program. It's just so disadvantageous. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, that was a lot, but (laughs) you can tell tell I'm passionate about that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's just what I was about to say that for those listening at home, I kind of wanted to, to pick Mike's brain about some of the things that he doesn't talk about as much his time with the Red Sox, all the behind the scenes stuff that's, you know, kind of kept it kept quiet but you can just always mike's passion just spills out every time we talk because he just wants kids to stay healthy you know he just wants things to improve for the next generation and as you know each new fad kind of comes and goes you know i feel like mike's always on the kind of like a leading edge of trying to dispel some of these myths and be like whoa 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 everyone let's you know let's just slow down and you know, let's go back to the the fundamentals that we know work and this might work, but let's just wait a little bit. Right. That's kind of, that's kind of right. your mo, And that's kind of why I've always followed you because, you know, I'm going to ask for you all of your, uh, so our, our readers can follow you in a second, but I turned to Mike as a source of information because he was always very objective and you're very layman. You know, you don't, like you said, you said neuromuscular patterning, you know, you and I both work with 12 year olds and they don't know what that means. You know, and these parents, right. they don't, they yeah. don't have the time to figure out what that means. They just want to know, okay, how should my how should my son or daughter throw? You know, how should my my son or daughter, you know, lift weights? You know, just just give me the basics. Let me know what they need to do to, to get better and to stay healthy and so that I can understand it and have a good idea of what they're doing and why. And uh, I think Mike breaks that as he, he breaks that down as well as anybody on the web, where if you're going to follow up with someone and, and learn a little bit about injury prevention and, and strength training and and PT and performance, all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, Mike's just a, a great reference because he he lays it out without, you know, it's just an, an objective sense and very layman, very relatable and easy to understand. So I think that's one of, you know, your great strengths, Mike. So well, for well, people, thanks. To, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, not a problem. So for people to follow up with you, as we kind of sign off here, I want you to explain real quick about your new website, all your old stuff and, and, and give us uh, ways to, to follow up with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my main hub is, you know, I've, I've been, I've had my own website. It's just MikeReinold.com. Uh, I've had that for almost 10 years now and been producing content every week. Um, you know, it's a mix of physical therapy, fitness, performance training, um, uh, and baseball stuff that's, that's on there, but that's kind of, it's kind of my main hub. If you want to, you know, go there, you can find all my social media stuff. I talk about all this stuff all the time. So you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. I don't know if people are still doing Twitter, but, uh, <laughs> um, like all those things. Uh, but I just started a new website and Dan's been a big help as well, um, in this website. Uh, but it's called elitebaseballperformance.com. And I actually bought that domain like a long time ago. So I've been, I've been waiting for this website for some time. Uh, but really my goal is, and if you see when you go to the website, you know, our goal is pretty simple. We have a mission statement, but there's essentially, I say it just like this, there's a lot of crap on the internet right now. You know, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of marketing. I want this to be a place that people can go for sound, scientifically based advice that's trustworthy. There's no bias. It's, it's, this is, I want players, I want coaches, I want parents, I want, rehab and strength fitness uh, people like I want everybody to know that this is a safe home so I've put together an amazing advisory board again like it ranges from people like Dr. Andrews to you know like heck I've you know major league baseball trainers that are you know working with current teams I've you know Josh Beckin Craig Brezel like you mentioned we actually have um, actual major league pitchers that are on our advisory board Eric Cressy and Matt Blake I mean all those guys I mean it's just so much people helping to to put this together and tons of great contributors like Dan that are, are producing great trustworthy content 
So I want this to be like the resource on there. So if you know that there's an article on there that, you know, we've kind of had the stamp of approval that it's not garbage, that's not false marketing or anything like that. It's it's sound quality information. Um, so that's EliteBaseballPerformance.com. And um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Dan's got freaking Dan's dominating in it already. He's, his changeup article, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast right now, his changeup article that's that's dripping out slowly here is amazing. He's, it's Dan brings such great insight. Um, we got to get you more involved, but, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. But yeah, no, please join me. And, you know, hopefully, you know, as we continue to learn, we just, all we're doing is sharing what we're learning. Right. I mean, I've just, I've been super fortunate. I've gotten to work with like a thousand injured baseball players and a thousand healthy baseball players. And it's really, most people don't work in both those environments. So I've kind of seen everything and I'm trying to, you know, tell people like, you know, Hey, here's the stuff we've seen that works. Here's the stuff that doesn't, you know, we're trying to, trying to cut through that garbage. So hopefully it helps. But, um, you know, but again, Dan, thanks for, you know, obviously having me and, and helping so much. I mean, you're, you're doing so much to the community as well. So, um, you know, again, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. So like I said, check out Mike on the web, MikeReynolds.com, EliteBaseballPerformance.com. Follow him on Twitter and on Instagram. I, you know, Mike pumps out a lot of content on Twitter. So a lot of passion from Mike. Be sure to check him out. And I want to thank again, Mike, for being on the show. And we will see you next week on Dear Baseball Gods.